Do you want to learn how to remote view? Now is your chance. The International Remote Viewing Association is offering eight weeks of remote viewing classes instructed by my friend Michelle Freed. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity starting Saturday, September 3rd, 10 a.m. Pacific. The course is only $150, and for members of the IRVA, it's only $110. Just visit irva.org slash events slash registration to sign up now. Welcome back to Beyond Classified. I'm Chris Matthew. Today my guest is Dr. Scott Taylor. He is a spiritual teacher, speaker, and researcher on near-death experiences. He is also the president of the Expanded Awareness Institute, which helps people curious about near-death experiences explore what that experience means to them and to our culture as a whole. He is also author and voice of six best-selling CDs of guided meditations on near-death experiences with his Into the Light series. Dr. Scott, welcome back. How you doing? I'm well, Chris. Thank you for inviting me back. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, last time you were on Forbidden Knowledge News, and you shared so, your incredible near-death experience and all the extraordinary insights you gained from that experience. Now, I want to go even further today in the discussion, see how deep we can go uh, with an understanding of what the afterlife is, what these experiences mean to us, and beyond. But this is uh, your first time on Beyond Classified. Let's remind the audience uh, just a little about your background and what happened during your experience. I will, and and thank you for having me back on. This is this is wonderful. And hello to all of you who I haven't seen before. Um, it all started in 1981. I was in love with a woman. Her name was Mary Frances, and she and her son Nolan had been out sailing on a beautiful summer day in southern Minnesota. And on the way back, from uh, from sailing and coming in back into town, um, she was involved in a horrific car accident. Um, Mary Fran was was killed outright, and Nolan sustained a a really a mortal head wound. And they took him from the accident scene straight to Mayo in Rochester, Minnesota. So he had some of the best care in the in the whole world. And, but it was, the injury was such that it was a, a battle that his body couldn't win. Mary Fran um, was one of nine children. And what that meant was that during the six days that it took um, Nolan from the accident to when he made his final transition, there was a ton of time for all of the brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and cousins and friends and grandma and grandpa, and that's just on her side of the family. I mean, and, and my family was there. And so there was really um, quite a lot of us that were holding vigil for, for Nolan. I bring that up because it's, um, it's important to know because what we did with all of us is that we just divvied up the time and we spent two hour shifts in there with, with Nolan. Well, on the morning of the sixth day, um, I had the shift along with Janie, who is Mary Fran's oldest sister. Uh, so Janie and I had the shift from 3 a.m. till 5 a.m. in the morning. And we would go in and we, you know, read him stories. Um, we told him about what was going on. And in particular, it was it was kind of funny that evening because the the brothers had gone on a scavenging mission all throughout the Mayo, <laughs> the Mayo Hospital, and they were swiping cushions so that they could sleep on the floor of the waiting room. And so, you know, we were just telling him stories because he was in a coma. He never came out of the coma. But what we know about comas is that hearing is the last sense to go. So we had been counseled by the staff there um, 
to keep talking to him because he more than likely was was hearing us. He might not have been able to respond, but you know, at least he knew that we were there and that we cared about him. Well, it got to be about quarter to five in the morning, and um, Jannie, who was an emergency room nurse, had gone to the end of the bed and, and picked up the, um, you know, his chart, and she's reading the chart, and then she's looking at this myriad of um, monitors that that was surrounding his bed, and she just she just shook her head and and held out her hand to me and said you know, Scott, it, it's time for us to say goodbye. And so we drew up a couple of chairs and we sat next to Nolan's head and we, we told him, you know, that he'd been a very brave boy and that he had fought really hard to stay here in the physical with all of us who uh, were there, that he needs to know that we loved him dearly. But if... Mary Fran, remember, she died six days before. Um, if Mary Fran came um, to pick him up and take him into the light that he should go, that that was okay. And, and that he should, he should go with his mother. And we said our final goodbyes. It was five o'clock and then we left and another pair of people came in to take the next shift. Well, it wasn't more than 45 minutes later when um, the nurse came in and said, it's time. And so all of us, there must be 40 of us or 50 of us, there was a ton of us in this little waiting room. We all filed into um, Nolan's small hospital room. And by I, as it just so happens, I was at the tail end of it. And when I got there, it was already four deep around the bed. So and just said, well, nuts. And I just went over and, and sat on the windowsill next to um, next to Willie, which is Mary Fran's youngest brother. And we just waited. And we, you know, you just sat there and you kind of get in this meditative state because you're just you're just watching, you know, the heart monitor, and eventually it slowed down and it stopped and it does that that drone thing. As, as as all functions cease. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, what I experienced was uh, Mary Fran coming across the veil and scooping Nolan up out of his physical body. And the two of them had this exquisite reunion, as you can only imagine, between mother and child. And I was surprised by that because somehow I was able to participate in that reunion. I, I got to feel what they were feeling. And then really to my surprise after, after that, the two of them turned to me and they embraced me and the three of us went to the light. And when we entered into the light, it was the most extraordinary thing that I could have possibly imagined it was well, what I discovered was that I was merging with this the fabric of the universe which is which is love it's ecstasy it's joy it's um requited longing it's it's you know you're coming home and I had a chance then the three of us did to be together and to um, we got to express our love and affection for each other. We had a chance to say our goodbyes because, of course, we didn't because of the car accident. I wasn't at the scene. I was working that night. And, and then we had a chance just to hang out for a little while and just be together. And then when that seemed to be complete, um, the two of them turned and went further into the light and I came back to my physical body that was there in the waiting room sitting on the windowsill. 
Now, so, Chris, that's that's part A of the story. There's a part B. Right. Yeah, before we get to part B, I just want to get um, your thoughts on this. This out-of-body experience you had, did you kind of drift into, you said it was like a meditative state. Was it, uh, you know, a, a, a more of an unconscious state, and then you kind of left your body? Did you know that you were leaving your body at the time? What were the sensations? Oh, um, let's see. So... So you have to remember, you know, when, when you're waiting for somebody's heart to slowly die, I'm guessing it was 45 minutes, maybe something like that, where we were just sitting there watching the heart monitor and there wasn't really anything else to do. Um, and so, you know, you're just, you're just relaxed and you're, and you're watching the monitor and you just, you kind of just zone out. I think that's the, the best word for it. Um, yeah, because there really wasn't anything anything else that was Im- impeding on my senses. It was just mm-hmm. me and the monitor, and and therefore, um, you know, when when Mary Fran came in to pick Nolan up, um, I was open to you know that altered state, or maybe I was already in an altered state of consciousness, and so I was able to um, you know to wit to witness that i mean did you feel surprised or shocked at all or were you kind of under this uh, kind of calming effect <laughs> um that's a great question um let's see because i know so many people have like, that, um, experiences yeah, I'm, sit- of... I'm, I'm sitting there on this windowsill mm-hmm. and you know in comes this this vibration that is Mary Francis and I get to be part of this reunion. So it wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I'm in this reunion. It was like, I had merged with the, the two of them and I was able to participate in that. So I didn't really, at that point, didn't have an external view of it. Mm-hmm. It was um, like, I was I was there and and part inside this emotional bubble that was surrounding Mary Fran and Nolan. Now, um, as far as your um, previous belief system, did you have the belief that there was an afterlife and um, you know that we were spirit beings and we go on? Uh, did that uh, you think have an effect on your experience? I <clears throat> I grew up in southern Minnesota. You know, my family attended a mainline Presbyterian church and, you know, so it's Christian and there's an afterlife and there's, you know, but it's the, it's the stories of the Bible. So it, I mean, I didn't have any kind of sense that I had the ability to enter into that. It was, you know, just stories that I heard about it when, and I got old. I'd I'd worry about what the afterlife was going to be like. Right. It wasn't, you know, part of what I was anticipating I could do as a young man. Right, and you weren't actively studying the afterlife or anything at the time. It's just oh, heavens, that, no. Yeah, <laughs> I was a manager of a retail store, so <laughs> yeah, I was very much in the here and now, and and you know, fuzzy sweaters I wanted to get <laughs> out on display for fall. You know, right on. All right, well, let's get to part B of the experience. So part B is that as as I have left my physical body and I'm now with Mary Fran and Nolan in in the light, I am also in my physical body at the same time. I didn't have a word for it then. I do now. Um, It's called bilocation. I had two distinctly separate consciousnesses that were fully active and functional. So all of me was with Mary Fran and Nolan and all of me was there in my physical body sitting on the shelf. And I know that to be true, Chris, because I, um, my body was experiencing the, the, the joy, the ecstasy, this merging with unconditional love that is the light. 
And so it's like, it's trying to break out of me. It's just, there's just so much of it. that just, and my face was, had this expression of joy and wonder and love. And it was entirely inappropriate for the room. I mean, just <laughs> moments before they had the second big loss within a week, you know, Mary Fran right. had died six days before. And now just moments before Nolan had made his transition. And so, I mean, it was incredibly sad mm-hmm. to be in the room with all those grieving people and I'm there with this expression of joy on my face and I knew it was inappropriate. So the only thing I could think of to do was to take and cover my hands or cover my face with my hands. Right. Um, and I remained that way until um, I came back. You know, that other part of me that was in the light came back into my physical body. I had a chance to, uh, to become you know, one entity again. And then I could bring my hands down and, you know, be with the other grieving relatives that were in the room and, you know, and participate and hug and, and do what you do when it's incredibly sad. Yeah. Now, uh, after this experience, after you come back, how do things start to, to unfold with you? What do you start to do with the, the experience and information that you've gained from it? Well, first thing is, um, in the literature, they call it safety of disclosure. I didn't feel it because what had happened to me was so outside of my experience. And it certainly was outside of the lexicon of the Presbyterian church. You know, this idea that you could, you know, in the moment of your greatest joy, you're in your greatest grief and that you could witness somebody coming across and, and scooping, you know, another out of their physical body and that you could leave your physical body and go into, into the light. All of that was just a totally new experience for me. And I, I didn't know if it was safe to share it. And frankly, um, I didn't have the words for it. It just was outside of all of my experience. So I kept quiet for 15 years. But what it did mean, though, is that I knew that I wanted to go back to that space again, that I desperately wanted to um, be with Mary Fran and Nolan again. And if I did it once, I knew I could do it again. I just had to figure out how. And so the first thing I did was to, I I went on trips around the world to these ancient sacred sites to see if there was any spark of energy there that would help propel me into, um, into the light, into this radiance that is the universe. And so I went to places like um, Stonehenge and the pyramids and the Sphinx and Machu Picchu and um, the Oracle of Delphi, and I went to more cathedrals than you can shake a stick at, trying to to get that that boost. Well, for me, it, it didn't work, and so then I was doing things more experiential. I started studying with shamans in both North and South America. I studied with the Emoto religion in Japan. I um, I went to seminary in New York. Um, I, I, all of which was trying to find another way. I, oh yeah, I forgot. I, I started meditation with TM. And then I ran into the Monroe Institute and they have a very specific type of, of meditation that they use. It's assisted with binaural beat technology. Mm-hmm. So you wear headphones and it, and it helps take you into the vibratory state that you want to do when you're exploring expanded states of awareness. And so, um, so I did all of those adventures, but it was Monroe for me that really helped me become, um, well, it helped me enter into that, that state where I could meet up again with Mary, Fran and Nolan. 
And it gave me the ability to, to go back into those expanded states of awareness. And um, I'd have time and state and I had the tools to navigate and move around the non-physical universe. Because, you know, that's one of the problems that people have when, when they have a near-death experience. You know, they're la-da-da, they're going along in their normal life and they have a car accident and poof. They're now in this, they're thrust into this world that they have no idea what it is. They weren't expecting it. It has a whole different set of rules on, on how you perceive things and how you navigate around it. And, you know, mostly folks just go, whoa, and they kind of drift along in the experience. Or there's some guide that helps them get what they need, but it's, um, it's not done purposefully. And that's what you learn when you start to, you know, do the kinds of meditations that can put you into the same vibratory state as the afterlife. Hello, friends. Have you heard of PEMF or Pulsed Electromagnetic Field Technology? I want to tell you a little bit about the Centropics Cloud. The Centropics Cloud is an at-home bioresonance frequency device. With the cloud, you can protect yourself and optimize your wellness anywhere you go. It supports molecular activation, energy, endurance, performance, rapid recovery, mental acuity, stress reduction, sleep management, deep relaxation, and much more. The cloud has the most effective frequency range of any at-home bioresonance frequency device. With the cloud, you'll experience up to 20,000 amplitudes per second through eight large coils and reach a wider molecular range in the body. Regenerate your batteries and keep your inner vital forces at full speed with the Centropics Cloud. Just visit GetTheFrequency.com or click the link in the description to take control of your health today. So uh, could you talk a little bit about some of your earliest experiences when you were actually able to achieve this from the Monroe Institute, these out-of-body states? Uh, were you immediately able to make contact, or did it take you know, practice? And... Um, thank you. Um, you know, no one's ever asked me that question before. It's kind of, thank you. Um, uh, Monroe has a, a course called Gateway. And it is the, it's the first course that everybody takes. It gives you kind of the foundational skills and it helps introduce you to um, the state of mind, awake, body, asleep, expanded states of awareness, the area of no time and no space, which is really cool. Um, and, and an area they call the bridge, which is where, non-physical beings lower their vibratory level, we raise our up so that we have the chance to talk with um, and communicate with people who are in, you know, that have already made their transition. And um, that first course just, just blew my socks off. I mean, I just like, holy smokes, I had no idea that this existed that very first state, mind awake, body asleep, is where Bob Monroe, the founder of Monroe hmm. Institute, and he was the guy who first wrote about out-of-body experiences. That's the vibratory state that he used to do most of his out-of-body travel. So there's all that that you can add to the mix. It was my second um, course that I took called Guidelines which is specifically about um, creating a relationship with your personal guides, guidance, or other people, other entities who wish to communicate with you. And um, that's where I met up with Mary Fran and, and Nolan and my grandfather. I mean, there's just a whole series of folks that had been important to me that had uh, made their transition before. And um, what I remember about 
the reunion with Mary Frances was um, that it was um, it was incredibly joyous, and it, it something to the effect that she said that you know that I had been um, it been really hard on me to lose both she and Nolan, and and this was the everything's okay, Scott. Not to worry. We're here. We're having a good time. Good time. You know, we're we're doing fine. I think that's a better way to put it as opposed to yeah, whoo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> staying alive. <laughs> um, so it was a uh, it was this uh, remarkable reunion that was very reassuring to me. And I was able to, you know, establish a relationship. And what's happened since then is that Mary Fran will, you know, when I go into that meditative state, sometimes she's available. Sometimes she isn't. She's just off doing her thing and, and learning and, and, you know, being Mary Fran. Nolan, on the other hand, he, have to remember he had just turned seven so he was he was a young boy and he had never known his biological father um when mary fran became pregnant um he chose to opt out he disavowed any knowledge of his actions or any responsibility for it mm. and just said you know good luck bye and so she chose um to not share that information with Nolan. And so as a result, when I came in and, you know, Mary Fran and I were serious and I was developing this relationship with a rather remarkable young boy, um, he viewed me in a father-like role. And, and as such, um, you know, Nolan's like right here, you know, he's always around. And, um, and we have this rather remarkable relationship because, um, I mean, it's been 81, it's been 41 years. <laughs> it's a long time. And, um, during that time, we've had a chance to, um, develop beyond the sorrow and, and beyond the, the, the sadness that that you know the initial loss was and to developing a relationship with with another entity that is entity developing a nation relationship with nolan that um is fuller more respectful i'm i'm trying to come up with the right words for that but it um you know, it's not what it once was. And, um, you know, one of the things I know about having done now a ton of research on near-death experiences and what the afterlife is like um, is that he has participated in other lifetimes. And... So the, the broad picture is this, is that when we leave our physical body, we enter the non-physical universe and there time is not linear. All mm -hmm. time is now. So if we are having um, reincarnation, if we are coming back and back and back into the physical world, from the perspective of the non-physical, they're all happening at the same time, which has a couple of cool cool effects you can ask me about in a little bit but um i remember them one of them very specifically because one day um we're at i go up and i'm at my we meet at a park bench it looks a lot like those benches that are in central park kind of on a gravel path and there's grass and trees and it's it's lovely and we sit on this bench and we have a conversation well, he came and he's dressed in something that looks like the 1950s suit. You know, it's kind of tight fitting white shirt, skinny tie with that, with the bar, you know, that's, 
that holds the tie up high, and mm. and he's carrying with him a briefcase. And um, he sits down to me and he says, "Scott, I need to I need to talk to you about something." And he opens up his briefcase, and in the briefcase is a gun, a pistol. And what he tells me is that in in his lifetime, another lifetime that he's living, he has the role of something akin to a U.S. marshal, you know, so mm-hmm. it's some law enforcement role where they wear, wear suits. But what's happened is that he um, he's had to kill somebody in the line of duty. He's had to take their life and it's tearing him apart because that's not how he was wired. I mean, he was trained to do that. But the training and the actual event, you know, are so are so different that um, it it he needed to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. and and so he wanted to talk to his dad, me, and and so we had a conversation like you would if you were, you know, an adult male talking to a young man who probably was in his late twenties or early thirties at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what it means to be human and what it means to take a life and, and, and enter into a conversation that could only happen between two people who really cared about each other. And that had a, had a significant um, relationship. Oh, that's incredible. Um, now, astral forms, um, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, you think these are all leading to the same type of other universe or other realm or what we consider the afterlife? Yeah, I do. Um, that realm has um, a ton of different vibrations. You know, like here, we have in the physical world, there's lots of different places that you can go from under the sea to on land to up in the sky. And each one of them has a different environment based on where you are. And I, the same thing has, has um, revealed itself to me in, in my experiences of, of the non-physical world, but also the stories that people have written about and told me about. I mean, I've, I've read over 3000 cases of near death experiences. So I, I got it. You know, I have kind of this sense and the same thing applies. There are vibratory states that are associated with um, the primordial beginning of everything. You know, that's, um, you know, in the meditation literature, they call that the void. Um, there's a place that is really heart centered and there's that bridge area I was telling you about. There's the, the place that is life between lives. And then, you know, closer to earth is that, that vibratory state that is the out of body state, you know, cause that's partly, it can be partly associated with this world, but if it's a little higher vibration, it can be associated with the other world too, the non-physical world. So yeah, so the short answer is yes. <laughs> the, the more complicated answer is a lot of places to go. Right. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Uh, I, I'm curious, have you encountered any other types of ancestors, humans or entities, maybe non-human uh, during your travels? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Tons of them. Oh. Um, um, so very often um, angels, for instance, um very often they have never been incarnated into the physical world. They have, it's like they got a whole different job description and they got their own thing that they're trying to do um, with, within themselves and, you know, with assisting those of us that are, you know, here on the physical world. Um, you know, there, um, there's a very special entity. Um, I had a, Martha, a near-death experience, a near-death experiencer whose name is Martha, who described really well 
this entity that she called the teacher protector. And uh, this, this happens when we're having our past life review, our life review. And they're the ones that, that guide us, that love us through that experience. And they're with us the whole time as we're, as we're going through and, and reliving our life from three different perspectives. And, you know, and their job is, you know, to ask us the question, what did you learn? You know, you come a scene on your life and maybe it was wonderful. Maybe it was awful, but all of them teach us something. And, and their role is to, is to help us through that. And there are other entities up there that are the personification of um, the love of the universe. Uh, they, I'm groaning because it's so hard. There's not really like a name for them other than when you leave your physical body, you can, uh, when you encounter one of these light beings, I think is a better word for it, is that you, you merge with them. And it's the most incredible healing experience because they are all love. And if we have any dark spots in our soul, by entering into the light that, that they're made of, it just drives out everything. It just drives out anything that's dark. And, and you realize that we are loved exactly for who we are. And it's unconditional. And no matter what we've tried that's been successful or not successful, or if we thought of ourselves or good or bad, it doesn't make any difference. The idea is that we are in this loving light and the act of merging with these beings is a profoundly healing experience. Wow. So yeah, there's all kinds of folks up there that you can run into some of whom have been incarnated in the physical and some of whom haven't. Um, okay. So here's a hint for your, for your viewers. Uh -huh. And this one thing I'm going to tell you is worth the price of admission. Okay. Right. So when we're having a life review, we're reliving it. And sometimes, um, we'll encounter a scene in our life that we're not particularly proud of. You know, say I was at the grocery store and I was being a jerk to the checkout person because she wasn't checking me out fast enough. Mm. Okay. So we've established I'm a jerk. Okay. And I'm reliving that scene. And the wise person would say, okay, divine being, I would like to relive that only I'd like to do it differently. And they say, sure. And so they get to rewind and you get to relive it again. Instead of this time, instead of being a jerk and impatient, I'm understanding and, you know, I'm going, don't worry. You can fix the paperwork. You know, Everybody had a first day on the job and I can see that that computer is not cooperating. Not to worry. I, you're good. You know, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm understanding. And that experience now also becomes part of the human experience, you know, because all of us are connected. You know, there is this great soul that is the human species that, that, we are all a part of and all of our individual experiences, you know, kind of meld up so that we are becoming day by day wiser than we were the day before. And this gets the chance for us not only to solve our individual karma, we get to, we get to fix it, but it also gets to improve who we are as a species on a, on another level. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's another one, too. Yeah. This is, this is all right. This is number two of the 
Scott Taylor's greatest hits. You, <laughs> you really need to know about this. So we're up in the non-physical universe. And every once in a while, you'll run into an entity that is ugly and mean and scary. And bleh. so think Harry Potter. Remember in, in, I think it was the second movie, um, Harry Potter goes into this room and sitting on a trap door is a three-headed dog. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's barking and it's drooling and just being mean and nasty. Well, you know, it scares him and he runs out the door. When we are meditating or we are now in the non-physical world and we're tooling around and we run into a three-headed drooling dog that's barking at us, what we have now learned is that if you can have some distance from the experience, be able to step back and go, whoa, hello there, three-headed, drooling, ugly, nasty dog. I see that you're here. Um, clearly, you are here to get my attention. You have my full attention. What is it that you would like to tell me? So it means that we have to have the presence of mind to not turn and bolt but that we have, we can back up and go, all right, I get you. You're loud and clear. Tell me what you need to know or what I need to know. And mm -hmm. almost universally, the, the, the drooling dog will change form. And it will turn into something much more benevolent. Let's make something up. Okay, so it's a... Uh, it's a monk with a hood and a, and a rope belt and wearing Birkenstocks, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's this benevolent person that's standing now in front of you instead of the three-headed dog, and they introduce themselves, and they go, Hi, I'm Fred, you know, and I've been one of your guides since you were a little kid, and frankly, there's this thing that you need to know, and you are not listening and we have tried over and over again with you know two by fours alongside the head for you to pay attention to what it is that you need to do because you know you're not fulfilling your role here in the in the physical life and we need you you wanted to do that so anyway and then they go and explain whatever it is that is important that they hear that turns out to be an incredibly effective tool um, in the non-physical universe. And when I teach meditation, um, I ask people to, to change a word because sometimes they'll come back from, from meditations and we're, you know, doing, we're in a sharing circle and somebody will say, you know, geez, I ran into this dog and it really scared me. And I go, I would love for you to change that word from scared to startled. Because that's more like what it is. You were startled. Because there is nothing that can hurt you in the in the non-physical world. Mm -hmm. But certainly you were startled. And if and if you have that reaction, that's your that's your cue to back up and you know say, all right, what is it you're trying to tell me? Right. Um, and it becomes really an effective mind tool to say, yes. I am being startled at this moment. It's kind of uncomfortable, but, and then you move on. So between those two, this idea that you can, you can change how you have lived your life in the, in the life review, or you can change how you react to situations when you're in them in the non-physical world, which then become a really helpful tool um, for us to have in the physical world where we also begin to go, oh, I'm not afraid. I'm startled. Mm. I'm uncomfortable in this situation. Um, anxious in that situation. And that's because I'm blank, fill in the blank. And I'm, I'm choosing to look at it in a different way now. Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot that's out there that's written about being um, 
living your life as an authentic soul, you know, and speaking your truth and, 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 and recognizing that we have good and bad in us and that we're, um, we're doing the best we can when we're here with the information that we have and to give ourselves a break. So that journey towards being an authentic soul, I think is really helpful, helped, excuse me. It's really helped by what we know about how to be in the non-physical universe, the kinds of egoless um, adventures that we have in the non-physical universe. It teaches us, you know, who we are without this overlay that is our ego. And, and that helps us become a, a, a better human being here on the, in the physical, which is, you know, yeah. So when people take my classes, you know, it's like, well, yeah, you get to find out about the non-physical world and it's really cool. And you get to find out about your own transition and what that's like. But the whole point of that is to be able to live your life in, in the physical with greater expression to become more of who you are and, you know, to move forward without fear. I'm now, sorry, that was a long answer. No, that was great. I, I love it. I, I want to go even deeper into this right now. Uh, say there are two individuals that are exploring out-of-body experiences, and maybe they're even in the same room, and they're they're meditating together, and they want to enter this vibratory and then eventually out-of-body state while they're together and maybe uh, meet each other in these realms. Is that possible? Oh, yeah. Happens all the time. Happens all right the time. So I taught classes at um, at the Monroe Institute for 35 years, then became their executive director for a couple of years. Um, so I have a lot of a lot of classroom time with people who are learning how to enter into and explore these expanded states of awareness. Well, um, there are spe specific activities we ask people to do like um okay so in your non-physical state go out to the crystal there's this enormous crystal it's out in the pasture by the residential center there and go meet up with your compatriots and then you know two three four of you go off and have an adventure or um you know at the beginning you say go meet somebody and exchange some information and so when you come back to the physical you can double check Yes, you wow. gave me a purple striped unicorn stuffed toy in the non-physical, you know, like something you could never imagine. And they'll go, oh, my God, I, that's exactly what I gave you. And you gave me a, a slam screen roll. When you open it up, there's a television inside of it. And you jump in and you go into other dimensions, you know, whatever. Um, yes. And... Um, the, yeah, the same thing can happen um, not only in the physical, meaning like in an out-of-body state that's associated with the physical, you can see other people and be with them and converse with them. And also with a higher vibration in the non-physical world, you can do, you know, projects together. Um, wow. Very common that people will do soul retrievals. And I heard about do, this. Yes. Yeah. So you can do them as a group too, you know, and and sometimes that's that's really helpful, especially if you've got a big group, you know, um, some mass casualties caused by know, an earthquake or a tsunami or something, and all of a sudden there's a lot of people. Yeah, for the audience that may not be familiar, is soul retrieval is basically going into these uh, these these non-physical realms and basically rescuing lost souls or people who are trapped in certain vibrations that in helping them to, to clear that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so in the ex exchange that I told you about with Mary Fran and Nolan, I mean, we went straight to the light. Well, in some instances, um, there are people who don't, they don't go straight to the light. 
um, sometimes they have real attachment to the physical world. So they choose to stick around like mothers with young children, or if they have a particular attachment to a place, a house, for instance. Um, and sometimes they don't know they're dead. Happens all the time with soldiers. You know, you're, you're running across the battlefield and the next second, you know, you're in little bitty pieces and, but your non-physical body continues to be in the battlefield or they were afraid. I remember rescuing a, um, a young man who'd been in a bar fight and in his mind, what happened was that he dove underneath the tables in the bar and he was cowering in the corner. Well, his physical body had been long since dispatched by whoever he was in the fight with. Um, so yeah, there's people who choose to or don't know they're dead and or scared or lost or because of their religious convictions, they believe that they're supposed to wait for somebody to blow a trumpet and come get them. You know, there's all kinds of reasons that they wouldn't go to the light right away. And that's what soul retrieval is all about. It's going, it, would you like to go to the light and see your, see your relatives? You want to see your mom and dad or your grandparents? You know, you enter into a conversation and then off you go. So when, is, when there's a lot of people, it helps sometimes to have a couple of you. And you do things like you create this really long escalator and you, you know, escort people to get on the escalator or your guides and you're running a whole series of buses to the light, you know, <laughs> and you're okay, yeah. check, Mary, friend, hey, Sam, over here, get on the bus, you know, and it works and it's, it could be really fun yeah, and amazing. people appreciate it. I'm people sure. meaning those who were, they're stuck and they're, relatives are waiting for them in the light right on now i want to go back to something you said earlier that everything in these realms is occurring at the same time as the time isn't uh, unfolding as we understand it and it causes interesting effects in our reality could you tell us a little bit more about that sure um <laughs> um okay so this is scott taylor's view of the of the universe okay <laughs> so you're there and time is now, which means all these lives are now, which means that as we get older, you know, we are getting older in all of these lives. Because when I wink out of this life, I'm going to wink out of all my other lives at the same time. Sometimes these lives bleed over each other. And so... Um, it's not uncommon for um, a future Scott to come and counsel me on, on some event in my life or how I should be approaching this stage in my life or, or, or. Um, it's not uncommon for me to go back to a younger Scott and say, remember when you broke up with your girlfriend in the ninth grade? Don't worry about it. It's not really as devastating as you thought it was at the time relax. It's okay. You know, and, um, so there's that. And, um, I've known a couple people in my lifetime who, um, have the ability to jump dimensions, meaning in this life, um, you know, I married Anne and we have, you know, two grandkids and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Oh, she'd shoot me. We had three. <laughs> um, but, you know, well, let me give you a different example. So this woman, her name's Stephanie. Um, she jumped a timeline where in this timeline, she broke up with her boyfriend. In the other timeline, she married him. And so what, you know, what was life like? when she made that decision versus over here when she made a different decision. So not only do is, does time get a little warped, but we have all of these different um, um, 
parameters around or different dimensions that happen where we are living our life but having made different choices. Yeah, I had a guess you're probably familiar with Dr. Bruce Goldberg. He said uh, that he actually achieved this very thing through an out-of-body experience where he jumped to a different timeline or dimension where he's living a slightly different life than he used to. And yep. the possibility that you, that anyone could, could do this if they have the, the knowledge how? Yeah. Um, in fact, that's what Stephanie and I are working on right now is – uh, for her, it was spontaneous at the beginning, and then she figured out there, there there was a thing that she did when she was leaving her physical body, when she was having an out-of-body experience. Um, she did a um, no, I don't want I, I don't want to leave, and was was pulling back, but that process of pulling back pulled her into another timeline. At least that's how she did it. I've been trying to figure out how to teach that to myself or to other people. I'm not quite there yet, but um, yeah, I've we know also it's had possible. A, um, I also had a guest that had an out-of-body experience where they were taken kind of above the earth and they saw all these different little options of bodies that like in timelines and they were appearing as little tornadoes going to each body, but uh, it was giving her a choice of what timeline she wanted to go back into when she came back, which I found pretty incredible as well. Yeah, I've not heard it described quite like that, but that's an interesting metaphor. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think the point is that, yes, this is possible, and we're now beginning to, uh, I mean, we're at the very beginning stages of what exploration of the non-physical universe is like? What are we discovering that's mm -hmm. there? And the cool thing, I think, is that the things that we're discovering are matching up very nicely with what the physicists are coming up with uh, in the scientific community. We, we use different words because we come out of a different tradition. But, you know, the physicists talk about String theory, uh, spooky action, all that good stuff. <laughs> all that, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, and and so it, it's like, oh, okay, we're we're talking about the same thing, different words. So what else is there? What else does it mean if time is not linear? What, right. How how does that work? And yeah. are, is there? Well, you know, that's the basis of remote viewing. You know, the time and space doesn't exist, that you have the ability to be here, empty your mind and get information from, you know, what's happening at the Eiffel Tower right now oh. or, you know, what's happening on the dark side of the moon or Mars or some planet that exists in a different alternate universe. I mean, all right. of it's possible is because all of this information in the non-physical world is run by the words both and as opposed to duality where we are right now that's run by the words either or you know chris yeah. you and i are separate people and you have your life and i have my life and so it's either you or me either or but in when we leave our physical bodies and we enter into the non-physical universe it's both and so you are you you're chris and i'm scott and we are also part of the whole. And we are connected to everything else that's in the universe, plural, universes. So that information is now available to us. And, and that's, a, that's a little harder to grasp because, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm me, but I could also be you or anybody else might you know grandma jenny i mean it's just we have to broaden our minds as to what is possible and not limit the metaphors we have up here um to how we've experienced them in the physical to date mm -hmm. because that is rapidly changing all the time it's changing so it's that's it's just fun 
<laughs> yeah, and I think you know this this information, especially coming from me right now, is very important. I've been trying to achieve out of body experiences or big uh, astral states for a long time, and I think the key that I've been missing, which you and a past uh, the past couple of guests I've had in the in the past couple of months, a couple of them has mentioned binaural beats and uh, the Monroe Institute, and I think that you know these things. The techniques that came out of there are probably my best bet and the easiest key to achieving some of these states. So now that, you know, these events have occurred, I've had guests on that mentioned binaural beats a few times. I think that's my next direction that I'm going to go to. Uh, Better the only go other check thing, it out, Chris. Yeah, yeah the, the only so, other thing that would hinder me is kind of like the fear, the, the, the fear of the unknown, the fear that... Is there something that could hurt me out there? Because I have had guests with conflicting ideas of if you can be harmed in these states. And I want to know what you think about that. Nope. You are absolutely safe. Um, one of the things that they teach you at the Monroe Institute is that we always have help. And there's always guidance. They're always there looking out after us. And we can make that a conscious process. So... When, when we enter into expanded states of awareness, um, we go through an affirmation that just says, you know, that I'm, I'm more than my physical body and, uh, and that I have the, these abilities and I desire help and cooperation and, you know, I'm safe and thank you very much for your assistance. So words to that effect. Anyway, so that affirmation sets up a vibration that is around you and is imbues your non-physical body. So uh, like attracts like in the non-physical universe. So if you have this vibratory expression that says, I am powerful, and this is the kind of things that I want to learn, and I've got help around me, you know, nothing that can touch you, just nothing. Mm -hmm. So what the binaural beats do that, that make them really effective is... I mean, you wear headphones, so it's easy, you know, and they're cheap. I mean, uh, an album is 20 bucks, so it's like, that's nothing. Right. Um, but what they have the, the ability to do is they help you set up your physical and non-physical bodies into different vibratory states. And so if you want to um, do um, out-of-body experience, right? Um, focus 10, that's what Monroe calls it, that particular vibratory state. So you get an album that's, you know, got focus 10 on it, and there's some guidance on there to teach you how to do it. And off you go. You want to go meet your dead relatives. Well, that can be either in focus 21 or focus 27. And that's really wonderful. You want to go back to the origin of the universe back before there was things that were on physical that timeless state, that's focus 15. So I have all of these different vibratory states that the objective is for you to be able to match what it is that you'd like to have happen. You know, I want to go meet Grandma Jenny. Okay, mm -hmm. so I'm wearing focus 21. I get into that vibratory state. I have um, experiences with with Ginny and anybody else who happens to show up. But the cool thing is with, with binaural beats is that once you learn what it feels like to be in focus 21, you don't need the, the binaural beats anymore. You remember, and you, you trained yourself just like, you know, the brain learns any, anything else. It can learn what these vibratory states are. And, and so you can, you can enter those states at will. So, I love it, man. Yeah, I, it's really fun to, to play with those. And I highly recommend taking courses that have trainers that just accelerates your learning because there's somebody there to ask questions. I had this experience. You know, what do I do with it? How do I further enhance what just happened to me? Mm -hmm. How do I... I seem to be having trouble. What some hints do you have to calm the monkey mind that we have you know, all that stuff they're really good at doing um mentoring people down this path 
Yes, excellent. And, that, well, this is a perfect time for you to let the audience know if they're interested in what you offer, how they can uh, get in touch with you or find your work. Thank you. I appreciate the chance for a commercial. This is great. <laughs> um, you may find me at neardeathmeditations.com. It's a website, and it's got a ton of things on there. My albums, which are right above my head there, are are there we have a five and a half day retreat that's that's just knocks your socks off there's a two-day retreat kind of a taster thing that's that's brand new we'll be doing um periodically so that's a great place to go um like chris i am also a podcaster so go on to youtube and look up the afterlife files kind of like the x files but it's the afterlife file and I've got some great interviews and all of them, you know, down in the notes, it'll take you off to neardeathmeditations.com. Great. Excellent. Well, Dr. Scott, this was fantastic again, and we'll definitely do it again in the future. I'm loving it, Chris. Thank awesome. you so much for the invitation again. Yes, sir. We'll do it again soon. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. See y'all then.